Well, good morning, church family. What a blessed morning we've had today, being able to hear the praises of God, the prayers of God, the word of God. Um, it does the soul good. It does the body good. And so I want to greet you in the matchless name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, it is always an honor to come before you and share a time in God's word uh, today. Today we're going to be coming out of the book of Psalms. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I would ask that you turn to Psalm 34 and keep it there. Uh, we'll be getting back to that. But um, today we want to literally, I guess, hear about what we have so far sung about, about praising God. What does it mean to have God be a blessing in our lives? What does it mean that we might be able to taste and see the very goodness of God. And so I think uh, one of the things that strikes me always when we have conversations is I found exciting that when you witness people talking about events, it always to me is an interesting uh, area. When someone comes back from something or someone experiences uh, an event or something and they try to explain it to you. And so they start telling you, it might have been a ball game, and it's like, man, you, you had to see it was, it, was the, the, it, it was at the end of the game, it was like only two seconds left, it was a basketball game, or 30 seconds left, and, and they had the balls, and they were going down the court, and, 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 and you're sitting there like kind of listening to them, and when they give you the conclusion, you're like, okay, and then they say, you had to be there. It was just something you, you had to be there. If it was an event at school and the kids are all talking about, man, out on the playground or out on the, on the park or in the gym or whatever, this was going on. And, and all of a sudden, all this stuff started happening and the person's looking like, okay, okay, okay. And they're like, okay, come, come, what was it? And you tell them and they're just kind of still in that solemn look. And what do we hear? You had to be there. People oftentimes find that they're more excited about the event, but they're not quite as adept in explaining it because it could be that there's just too much to take in. It, it really does have to be experienced, especially when you get to certain foods. I, I know that there are certain combinations that people like to say, like, hey, you know, if, 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 if you mix those bananas with the avocados and then put some strawberries and a few nuts and then put it all over with chocolate, it's just, it's just so great. And your face, they can tell, like, you're not quite getting the deliciousness of that combination. And invariably, you say, well, I, I got to make it for you until you taste it. It sounds like it might be something I'm not necessarily feeling right now, but, but if you taste it, it'll change your mind. I can tell you that oftentimes that hasn't happened to me, but there are those that truly, if it sounds sometimes like it's a little fishy, sometimes the sound is just like the taste. But, but there are too many that the opposite is true. It did not look good, but boy, was it delicious. And so experience is important because it helps us 
As you can see, the excitement that one another has when we try to relate things, we actually want the experience of one another. We want to share in the joy. We want to share in the fun or in the excitement. Sometimes we want to share and want others to understand even some of the pain that we go through. And so having that experience is something that's helpful for us. And so today we're going to look at a passage from David, one who can tell a story masterfully, one who is able to help us understand what it is to be delivered out of a situation such that he invites others where normally we might have hidden something like this, not David, not God. Because as we'll find, it's God who gains the glory when we testify of his goodness. And so David's going to give us a story today in reference to that. And and, and in the Psalm 34, it, it briefly starts out with this description, this superscription that says of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. That's important because it helps us understand the condition by which this psalm was written. I'm going to read it right now, and we're going to parse it through as we go through, but I want us to take in the fullness of what David experienced, and then we will take this piece by piece. So would you join me in verses 1 through, I'll read the whole, uh, Psalm 34, verses 1 through 22. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Boy, this sounds familiar. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from the evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward the cries, towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. What a beautiful psalm. 
it starts out giving us again, why would David write such a song? And we find that David, during this time period of reflection, as it says, David had at one point found himself before the king of Gad. To set that up a little bit, David has been on the run. He has been running from Saul, who wants to kill him. And in his haste to get away from Saul the king, David runs to the land of Gad, to the Philistines. And he finds himself in an area of a precarious situation. Because in the chapters before, this is coming out of 1 Samuel 21 in chapter 10. In chapter 21, verses 10. And what you find in the previous chapters, just a few chapters before, David was the valiant slayer of giants. He slayed Goliath. Guess where Goliath was from? Gad. And David shows up in Gad with Goliath's sword that the priest had given to him. As he was on the run, he needed a weapon. So David finds himself in the land of the Philistines in the very town of the chief Philistine whom all the fame came to David over. And David is in between a rock and a hard place. What's he going to do? Well, the prescription here and the subscription and the passage in 1 Samuel lets us know. David acted like a madman. David let the spittle and the foam of his mouth come all over him and he acted crazy and he started to go around and gnashing on post and, and, and tearing up stuff such that when the king saw him, he said, this can't be David. This is a crazy man. And, and the text, I love how the text kind of gives you even a little Hilarity is the king says, don't we have enough? I have enough madmen in my kingdom. I don't need another. So he casts David out. And David realized that was the grace of God. God spared him because surely he was a dead man. But God allowed this to come about so that he would be delivered from that. And that's what he then writes this psalm recognizing this. So we have this psalm that gives us a great introduction and a, a great understanding of what it is then to go through a time of need and need the strength of our God to help us. This is a psalm that is considered an acrostic. Every verse in this song is the first letter is the letter of a Hebrew alphabet. And that's, that's important. It's not just showing we know Hebrew or the, the, the order. There's psalms that have an acrostic feature. And the reason that they have that is because usually they're instructional. They're meant to be memorized. They're meant to be learned, kept, and followed. And so the pattern of it is in such a way that it would be easy for those reading and hearing to remember. That's important. And so David wants us to hear this and know this and learn this because this is the fruit of life 
if we want to walk with Christ. And the thing he wants us to learn is, and this is the point of this text, that the taste, in order to taste the goodness of life and the fullness of days, we must learn to do it in the refuge of God. The big idea is taste the goodness of life and the fullness of days in the refuge of God. And we're going to look at two points that David brings us to mind on this. And the first one is, in order to do this, we need to trust God's testimony. We need to trust God's testimony. And we'll see that in verses 1 through 10. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. Those first three verses, it is a proclamation. It is a praise. It is something that we sing or explain to say that we are looking to bless the Lord. The words that he's using, bless, praise, boast, exalt, magnify the Lord are expressions of praise. It's to say that God is praiseworthy. The important thing is that he starts off this time of God's testimony praising God. You're going to see the words, the Lord, almost 15 times in this text. Why? Because this passage is about the Lord. And so one of the lessons we learn right away is testimony. It's about God. Praise is about God. We praise him right in the beginning. It isn't David gets to the end and says, well, after all the things that God has brought me through, now I'm going to praise him. He starts with praise. Brothers and sisters, it's a lesson for us. We don't praise God simply because what he does for us. We praise God simply because of who he is. He's the God who is to be magnified, exalted, praised, and he's the one to receive our boasting in the Lord. Not boasting of ourselves, boasting of who God is. Jeremiah puts it this way, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You see, Jeremiah in 9.24 understood that's who God is. If I'm going to boast, I am going to boast in the Lord. If I'm going to exalt, I'm going to exalt the Lord. David was the hype man for God. And he gives us the privilege of being hype men for God and women and children. You're like, what's a hype man? A hype man is someone who brings attention to folks. He stirs up people so that they will exalt and they'll proclaim and they'll, they'll kind of lift up other people. Well, we are able to do that for God, and here's the good thing. It's not hype. <laughs> He's everything that you can ever think or imagine. Every, every word that has greatness and exalt, he is that. 
He's worthy of the praise. And so it's easy to praise God because he is a God worthy of magnifying, showing everyone who he is, exalting, showing that he's above everything else, that he's blessed because we know that we receive our worth from him. And so we bless him. And so this is what David starts out with. And it's a wonderful way for us to be reminded. This is what we praise and this is how we praise God. We are joining together to magnify him. And I love it that he helps us realize that it's something we do together. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. We can praise God all by ourselves. But what David, again, is trying to get us to taste and see, it's like going something or being someplace, or uh, uh, Pastor Mike just came from, from um, or earlier, from the Grand Canyon. And my wife's been to the Grand, and people have been to the Grand Canyon. I haven't been to the Grand Canyon. But they tell me it's nice which is probably a severe understatement, okay? Because we realize if I'm standing there and I'm looking at the Grand Canyon, if I'm alone, something just feels like this is a crime because I have to explain, I have to exalt, I need someone to share that experience with because it just makes it that much better. And so praise is to be done together. When we come together like this, we praise God. We're led by our choir and our, and our worship leaders to praise together because it's enjoyable, it's fun. And once again, it's not because of what they're kind of, we're the hype man for the choir and for all the, no. If they didn't do anything, we would still be here praising God because of who he is and enjoying one another in praising God together, saying, did you see, did you hear that about God? Did you, did you know that about God? Oh, praise and magnify the Lord because he's worthy. And so we do that. I love that. I, 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 I love that. And I love that we have been, therefore, included and, and, and admonished, encouraged, that that's part of our testimony, is our praise to God. But David goes on. He says, in verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. So now he gets into, well, why, David? Okay, wh wh why, were you, why are you praising him? We, we just want to know. But David's like, well, I just want to tell you. Why I'm praising God is because I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their face shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David is here helping us understand as he testifies of the goodness of God. He says that he answered and delivered me. When I sought him, I found him. And as we come to find out, just like in the Garden of Eden, it isn't that God had to go like he couldn't find it. It's literally to say God was always there, but I needed to see the eyes to see him. And when the world got out the way, I could see clearly who God was. He says, I found him 
I called out to him. He answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. One thing that we notice is that David comes to him in a state of brokenness and need. He says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard me. It's the sense that sometimes we think, I got this, God. Uh, I'm good. I can take care of this. But God, unlike us, loves needy people. I'm a needy person. My wife will tell you, I'm a needy person. Now, she loves me because God made her love me. But oftentimes we get challenged by needy, what we, what we coin as needy people. And it's not that they're wrong or bad. or Again, we could be that person. It's everybody has needs. Some are more vocal than others. But what we love about God is God just sees my children. Do you have a need? Cry to me. Don't try to be that I can take it all. I can do everything. He says, the poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of a few of his troubles. Some of his troubles. Many of his troubles. All his troubles. The radiance that the teacher is helping us to see is when we know that God is there to hear and deliver. It's the good news that we seek. And because we know he hears us, he will answer. And part of our conditioning as he will get to being the teacher is learning how to respond to a God who knows how to deliver and literally answers every prayer his children call on. That's important. Every prayer that we pray, God hears and he answers. But we need to be attuned to how God answers and therefore how he conditions us for the situation that we are in. But what we're sure is he will deliver us from all our troubles and he will be the one who encamps us with his presence. The angel of the Lord encamps. It's the Old Testament, what some would even say, the the pre-incarnate Christ, the same angel of the Lord that was with Abraham, the same one who stood before Joshua and Moses and all of those who God led and protected This angel of the Lord is the essence of there is a deliverer who will protect you from whatever would seek to do you harm. God himself protects you, shelters you, and ensures that you, his child, will accomplish the purpose he began in you. It's God who we come to. David is saying, this is the God I need you to To know is good, and he starts it with this testimony. And so, as he's helping us understand the goodness of God through the strength of his deliverance, and that he desperately 
He does seek us as his children to come to him and cry out. But then he also goes on to say, taste and see that the Lord is good in verse 8. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord, they lack no good thing. Amen. Because sometimes we have to be reminded that God is not here to just rescue some. He's here to rescue all his children. David is saying, if he rescued me, then he'll rescue you too. And so these words are given to us as encouragements. Don't just look on wishing saying, I want you to taste and see that the Lord... What does he mean, taste and see? Obviously, it's a metaphor. We can't taste God. But what he's saying, and what the scriptures identify when they're saying taste and see, taste him to know that his goodness, it's saying experience him. This is the, I need you to experience this. It's not enough that you make a fine meal before me. It's not enough that everyone outside is having fun. It's not enough that I see that or even know that in order to know him, I need to experience him. I need to be involved with him. I need to be doing the work he's called me to do so that when he shows up, then I realize God is there with me and therefore I have to fear no evil because I know he's present and he's with me and I get to experience that the Lord saves and that in him, he says that not only do I want you to taste and see that he's good, but I also want you to take refuge in him. What does it mean that God is a good God? It's extremely important. Because the passage that was read earlier from Mark is very important when Jesus says for the rich rulers, it might be coined, who came up to him. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, goodness and God's goodness is is an attribute of who God is. If we look up the word good, we'll find the definition to be this. Good is to be desired or approved, thorough, valid, giving pleasure, enjoyable, or satisfying. Who does that sound like? It sounds like God. Because good is understood to be worthy of approval. Worthy of approval. Now, Who is the one approving God's worth? Who is it that God goes to and says, am I worthy and do the things that I do meet something, someone's approval? God can only be approved by himself because there are no higher that God would receive approval. When it says God is good, worthy of approval, it is true because the goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good and that all that God is and does, all that God is and does is worthy of approval. 
He does not do anything that is not worthy of approval. It is good by his standard, and his standards are complete. They are true. There is no error. There is no judgment. There is nothing negative in the sense that you could diminish who God is. He is perfection. And in that perfection, he is love perfectly. He is patient perfectly. He has grace that is issued immeasurably. That is the God and all of those traits are the measures of his or characteristics of his goodness. So when Jesus says there's no one good but God, that is true. And it also bears claim to who Jesus is because he says only God is true. Why do you call me good teacher? You are right. I am the good teacher. Why? Because I am God. The goodness of God is his attributes that helps describe him in a way that no other approval authority need be entered because there are none above him. Everything he does is good. And so we can come to him knowing that then if this is the God who is perfectly good and he seeks to do good and David says, Oh, taste and see that he's good. That means anything I come to him and receive is good. But I prayed for a new house and didn't get it. That's good. Why? Because you went to the God who gives. And if he says it's not time, it's not time. Well, I prayed that the doctors would come back and give me this verdict of my condition. And it didn't change. Hear this, saints. Sin has its effects on us. And God, if he chooses for the purposes of his glory and your good, keeps that there. It is not because God is not good, as we just saw. It's because it serves a purpose that God is working in our lives. It's important we understand this. Because the saints of God need to be the very ones who proclaim the goodness of God in all situations. Because it's true. The world wants God to be good when things are acceptable to them according to their standards of goodness. But when he's the authority of goodness... Everything needs to be mapped back to what he says. It's good because he said it. Israelites had clean foods and foods that were unclean. What made them clean and unclean? Because God said these are clean and these are unclean. Period. Wasn't a health dietary. Wasn't because some had cholesterol. and some. God said this is good. This is what you can eat. This is what you can't. And because he said it, that made it so. It's good because of his standards, not because of what we feel like. And so having that then as our mercy, having that as God's grace in our lives, we're able to start looking then and saying, God, if these are the things that are helping us and these are the areas 
which help us to fall up under your shelter. Not begrudgingly, not because we can't do better. It's because, Father, there is no better than you. You are the refuge. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. This is the same essence of the psalmist that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack not, I, I have no need because he has everything. The young lion suffers and want of hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Friends, we really need to understand that. God is an endless supply of good for your life. And the ways then that we start to understand that is in the next part. God says that if, if, if it's God's testimony that's keeping us, if, if, if part of what I'm doing is tasting the goodness of life for the fullness of days and that God's truth, his testimony, helps see that, explain that, be the testimony in my lives to others and others to me, as a side note, that's a good conversation to have with everybody. What's your testimony? It should be the, why? Why do we give testimonies? We give testimonies because they help encourage they help be that living parable. A parable is a story, as some would say, an earthly story of a heavenly truth or a biblical truth. Okay, it's a story. But what's a testimony? It's a real person dealing with the graces of God in their life. It's exciting. Every time God saves someone, it's a miracle. And I'm not sure about you, but... A miracle is still exciting to me. I like things that I have no explanation for. I can't understand how that happens. And so every time we get to talk to one another, what's your testimony? Ask, what's your testimony? Because at the end of the day, what did we see? It starts with praise. It's all about God. I'm proclaiming the goodness of what God did, not me. I was nothing. I, I need you to know how good he is. Why? Because I need you to know how nothing I was. And he made me something. So it's a good thing. It's an encouragement. We should do it. And so as you get opportunity, tell one another your testimony. Come on Wednesday nights where we get a chance. Every first Wednesday we have prayer time and we also give testimonies. You get to hear a folks' testimonies in prayer. So just whenever we can, start making that part of, hey, how are you doing? What's your testimony? See what God blesses you with. But he goes on and tells us, if we're going to then give the truth of God's testimony, then we're going to also apply God's teaching. We need to apply God's teaching. And this is where this idea of the um, goodness of life and the fullness of days. In verse 11 through uh, 22, uh, it says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good, keep your tongue I mean, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from the evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But verse 22, the Lord redeems the lives of his servants. None of those who take, here we see again, refuge in him will be condemned. God's goodness provides us the perfect model of goodness by knowing and learning from him. David goes on to say, come, O children. It's like John identifying you little children. It's, some would say it is for children, but children it is. That we would teach our children these truths, but it's really for the church. Come and hear this teaching of the Lord. And what David wants us to know is that if we are going to, he asks this question, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Every man. It's a rhetorical question. We all seek that. But he goes on and he gives us three things that we need to understand about what then does it mean to accomplish that. And he says um, that negatively we avoid three things. We keep our tongue from evil, our lips from speaking deceit, and turn away from evil. We need to control our tongue and control the things that we do. But positively, we're to go after three things. We're to do good. We're to seek peace. And not just seek it, pursue it. Because what David is helping us to see is that if we are to be good, and we are because God is good. Just as God says, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. If we're looking to do the very things and receive the blessings of God and know what the goodness of God is and taste it, experience it, then we ourselves must be that. And so we want to be good. We want to be peacemakers. We want to be those who do not speak with deceptive and deceitful tongues. Evil should not be present in our language, our speech, or anything that we do. Why? Because our desire is to be the, with the good God. And so we emulate that which God has shown. David is saying, learn this. Where? That's what he means, the fear of God. When he says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will teach you the reverence the way in which you honor and you keep God in awe. Not that you tremble in fear. That is for those who shall be condemned, and they shall be condemned. He says, many are the, uh, when the righteous cry and the Lord, um, uh, the Lord helps and hears them, and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. He says that those, I'm sorry, in verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. God will judge the evil and God will remove them. Today we may still have some presence of evil in our life, but God is there to remove them from doing harm and doing things to us before God's timing. And so he's helping us understand that what we want to do is learn to fear the Lord by doing good, 
by seeking peace, by pursuing peace, and keeping deceit and evil from our lips and in the things that we do. We could go into many of the things that this entails. But one of the ways that we find out, what, what is God saying? How do we know how not to be deceptive? How not to be deceitful? How to speak proper to one another? How to love? How to pursue peace, as a prayer was said, with one another that the unity of God might be fulfilled? We go to his word. The word of God should be the very lifeblood of the saint. If I am to know and I am to learn, we want to, quote, apply what he's teaching. Once again, experiencing it. Because that's what's going to make the difference in how we develop and grow and taste and see how good God is, is the application of his word in our lives. I think the things that this helps us understand and Peter helps us bring it to really Christ in our lives. Because when he says that in verse 22, there will be no condemnation. We want to understand that God desires that none of us perish and that in him that we would find no condemnation. That as it is spoken, that we would have that sense of clarity that God does not condemn his own. And so when we get to the final parts of, of, of David helping us understand this passage, we find this very same passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. As he goes on to help the saints there understand what it means to live in times of turmoil, times of distress, and yet seek and fall up under God's will, Peter says it this way, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter understood this is what the saints needed in order to persevere in persecution. Saints, it's what we need today. If we're to do good, we should seek the good of others and that we represent God by doing good, keeping evil from our tongues and pursuing then the peace that binds us together for one another. In closing, I think the things that if we're going to look at, what is it that really helps us embody this and helps us to taste the goodness of life and the fullness of days in the refuge of God? It's going to be trusting God's testimonies. And it's going to be applying his teaching. Knowing that the goodness of God is ours. Jesus is different. He's better than anything that the world would try to imitate and have us to go after. And God reserves this quality of life that is bound up in him for his saints. 
If you don't know God, then today is the day that you should come to understand who is this Jesus? Who is this one that we are exalting and praising who gave his life for us? The one who goes to the brokenhearted, the one who looks for the redemption of those who couldn't save themselves. But in God's goodness, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, if you don't know Christ, we pray today don't leave not knowing the security and the surety and the comfort and the presence and the power of God in your lives today by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us go before the Lord.